You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Paul gets it into Booker, who wheels for three, missed it, contested rebound. P.J. Tucker's got it. He'll run out the clock. 50 years in the waiting. Giannis Adetokounmpo scores 50 in an MVP performance, delivering the 2021 NBA championship to the Milwaukee Bucks. Everybody was on their feet. And some moments feel bigger than just that city, just that team. It felt like people everywhere were watching the Deer District go crazy and watching something we'll all remember for a very long time. ESPN Radio on the call there. It is a championship celebration day for the Milwaukee Bucks. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. That will include one Oscar Robertson coming up a little bit. We'll find out what he thinks about the Bucks and their big championship night. But, Sarah, we start with some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Sometimes it just feels different. And I found myself on my feet clapping for a team that I don't really <laughs> have. A, you know, I don't have a favorite NBA team. We've talked about it. Maybe the Bucks are like a side piece. But I sat there and watched this and thought, what a special moment for so many fans, for so many people. And watching Giannis just collapse into a chair in tears after the win, knowing what it meant for him, for the city, for the organization. Last night felt like an incredibly special night for the NBA. It really did. There were so many moments. There was, to your point, sort of, let me take a second here and sit before I get up screaming and flexing and get back into the mass of bodies all over the court celebrating. There was the IG Live with his brother, Thanasis, who was unable to be on the court, was in protocols. And, I, I, you know, it seems like everybody was still happy. I think that would be a little bit bittersweet to win it and not have his brother right there with him. But I think probably made... Uh, to feel better by the fact that all three of the brothers are now NBA champions. I mean, oh, decent, yeah. right? He even cracked a joke about people making fun of him uh, when his other brother won uh, with the Lakers last season, how he beat him to a title. But there were so many moments of just genuine happiness. And you look at someone like Coach Budenholzer, who really, truly was on the hot seat. A couple things go differently. Kevin Durant's shoe size is a little smaller and we might have said goodbye to Coach Bud and his tenure with the Bucks, And the adjustments that he made in this series really were the difference. And you could tell in his postgame speech, there was a combination of elation and relief that is very specific to a coach who has found himself given an extra leash on life. And it's I say leash intentionally instead of leash, leash like mm. uh, extended leash with the team. Oh, look at that. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, that's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Uh, Sarah, it felt like everybody in this game was a little tight except for one. Like Giannis was so in a different element from the get-go. And I, I remember as he was warming up last night and I was watching our pregame show, I was watching the process. He had the headphones on and I was thinking, what's Giannis listening to right now? Whatever it was. I don't know if it was Yanni or, or like, it doesn't matter what he was listening to. He came out so much calmer than everybody else seemed to be on the court. And it was a 50 point night where frankly, one of his weaknesses became a strength as he was absolutely incredible from the free throw line. It felt like Giannis was just sort of all of this madness swarming around him. And he was the one constant in this game. Nobody else had an answer on the Bucks or or the Sun side, but Giannis was absolutely spectacular. He talked after the game at his press conference about his journey and getting to the moment. I started playing basketball just to, you know, help my family, you know, um, try to get them out of the struggle, you know, the challenges we were facing when we were kids. Uh, 
but man, I never thought you know I'm going to be 26 years old, you know, uh, with my team playing the NBA finals, just playing, and like I was just happy just being a part, like you know, not even winning, just being a part of this of this journey, you know. And uh, but I never thought ever when I'm be 26, you know, I'll be sitting in this chair with this right here and this right here. Man, it's been it's been uh, we've come a long way. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable to think about. There's a great anecdote that's been floating around for years that you think of again now. He talks about supporting his family, sent back one of his early paychecks from the Bucks, went to Western Union to wire it all home to his family, turned around to walk out and realized he had wired all of it and didn't have enough cab fare to get to practice. So he starts jogging to practice, and a couple driving by notices this seven-foot-tall, lanky guy and says, hey, aren't you that rookie from the Bucks?" And then gave him a ride to the to the facility. Uh, this There's so many stories of, of the way that he in, ingratiated himself to that city and to that team and to this league, and now he's on top of it. You mentioned last night there was a lot of tight bodies and a lot of bad shots early on, and Giannis throughout was unbelievable. The stat line was spectacular, including, to your point about the free throws, 17 for 19 in this game. One free throw after another going down. And there's a great post. Crow Bar and Grill in Milwaukee posted last night before the game. Tuesday night, beer specials during the game and get a free shot on every Giannis free throw made. And somebody retweeted it and just said, is everyone at this bar dead now? Or Which is <laughs> perfect because 17 of 19. I hope people started cutting themselves off. I hope the bartender started pouring water in there and just hoping nobody noticed. <laughs> also, like, I feel for the bar. Now, look, bars, uh, you know, bars and restaurants in Milwaukee uh, did really well last night, and they have for the last several days. But still, having to give away 17 shots to everybody <laughs> per in person. the bar, it just feels like that. Like, as a resident, like my 21st as, birthday. I hope oh, it didn't the, end the, the way mine as, did for all of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking like the resident cheap guy. I'm walking in and I'm like putting my card down. I'm like, shots for everybody. And then you look around and realize there's way more people than you really wanted. Like that, right, that right. there has to be a limit to it. Uh, but it felt like through this, the process to me, what we saw last night was such the growth of a legend, you know, and, and that's this, it, you know, you got the old people that will come in and say, oh, when I caught that fish, it was actually like six feet. And by then it's like 18 feet. I feel like last night was the night that everybody will turn around in generations and say, yeah, but we had Giannis because there was such a special element of watching what felt like somebody that was the high school kid playing a bunch of grade schoolers. Like everybody was trying to cling to his body. They were trying to foul him. They tried to do everything right and everything they did. Giannis had an answer for. And I just kept thinking through that process. It was a week and a half ago that we were convinced his mm-hmm. knee was going to keep him out for the whole series. Like <laughs> It's superhuman what he was able to do last night. And I think that's part of what we need to, instead of always worrying about what it means for 10 years from now, in this moment, just appreciate what we saw last night because it was, it was beautiful. Also, can we remind ourselves again, and you and I have been harping on this all week, of what he can do and not what he can't. Mm. Right. And by the way, 17 and 19 from three throw. He hit a three pointer last night. He was like, let me just do all the things. Every little thing that you need. I'm going to do so fun to watch. Congrats to the Bucks. Congrats to Milwaukee. 50 years coming. And they had a heck of a celebration that was, for the most part, uh, you know, pretty well handled by them. On the other side of it, Fitz, you and I talked about, you know, the Bucks are our side piece. We do really enjoy this team and have for a number of years. So it's great to see 
But there was a part of me that really did want to see Chris Paul finally reach the top of the mountain, making it to his first finals, starting out this postseason and this series so well, and then really just tapering off as the Bucks made the best adjustments possible, put Holiday basically in his back pocket, starting at half court every night. And it leaves you with this kind of sound that there's always got to be a loser on the other side. It'll take a while to process this or whatnot, but it's the same mentality. Get back to work. You know what I mean? I ain't retiring, if that's what you're asking. That's out. So, you know, back to work. And I don't know if you saw Fitz, but Monty Williams, who is heralded as as absolutely class personified, a, a, a true mensch, if you will, went into the Bucks locker room to personally congratulate all of them, despite being in tears during his postgame presser about the opportunity lost for the Suns. Uh, it's just this is one of those times where I feel like I fell more in love with the winner and the loser through the entire mm-hmm. process of this series right. and really through the playoffs. It's but been, not the uh, officials. We still yeah. all hate them. <laughs> we can all agree on one thing. Whenever the Suns play right. and, and fosters the official, things are not going to go well. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Speaking of not going well, the opening ceremonies for the Olympics haven't come yet, but the action's already started, and it was a stunning Start. Mm. We'll tell you about it next. Mm. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Yeah, it's not the uh, triumphant tune we hope to play for you to (laughs) usher in the results of, I guess it's technically day negative two of the Olympics. That's how they do it. Minus two, minus one, zero is opening ceremonies. Day one is Saturday, but... Unfortunately, that's the result. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Fitz, uh, guessing you didn't wake up at 3.30 in the morning to watch the uh, U.S. women's soccer team open up their Olympic slate. But, you know, the good news is if you were celebrating from Milwaukee, maybe you were still up at 3.30, but no, 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 no. I was I was, uh, I was, was asleep, sound in my bed, and, uh, I, you know, I felt pretty good. Like, there are times that you feel like you can just sleep through and you know that we got it. Like, you're going to wake up and watch the highlights, yeah, right? Yeah, about that. So, uh, let me catch you up on what happened. <laughs> that was actual sound from the game. Uh, unfortunately, absolutely dusted by Sweden. And if you recall, this is the Sweden team that dashed their hopes of winning in 2016. And I've been trying to tell people on social media that this U.S. Women's National Soccer Team is incredible, an embarrassment of riches, unbelievable talent. But they are not alone. And they, they have competition. And they have to show up every day and do every little thing better when you are talking about the best teams in the world. And they didn't. They were slower than Sweden. Sweden's set pieces were perfect and sharp and great and executed in exactly the way they had hoped, and the U.S. women's weren't. There were some decent plays. There were some good saves by Alyssa Nair. But Sweden seemed to be swarming every single time the U.S. tried to advance the ball. There was even visible frustration at one point from Rose Lavelle. She's trying to counterattack, and she looks around, and there's just no one to pass up to. This is a team that came in and told Julie Foudy, or Foudy at least, said in the the broadcast that their goal was to have a clean slate in every game. That means no goals. Well, guess what? That was gone in the first half of this one as they were down 1-0. On an absolutely gorgeous goal, a header that Nair didn't even have a chance at. So then they put in Julie Ertz at the 6 to start the second. You feel good about that. This team always runs better when she's in the middle. And she's back from injury, was able to go. But... No one's sitting on the back post, and Blackstenia scores again. Now they're down 2 nothing. They're sloppy. They're lacking control. There's some po- opportunities where it looks like there's, there's a good setup and just no one's there to finish. 
So then we get a, a 3-0 on a gorgeous header. Again, no chance for Alyssa Nair. Fitz, this was an absolute drubbing. And this is a team that in their last 23 games had outscored their opponents 79-4. to They had not been shut out since 2017. And it's starting to look a little more complicated when we try to say that this could be the first team ever, men's or women's, to win a World Cup and Olympics in the same cycle because uh, they now are at must-win after this. I think a couple of things were really stunning to me. And again, I'm not going to pretend I watched it at 3.30 in the morning. What, what was stunning to me is, as I started to read about it, how many people I respect writing about the match in general that were saying it could have been so much worse. Like, this wasn't a 4 nothing that felt like a close match. This was a 4 nothing that felt like it could have just even gotten more out of control. Now, what I'm trying to do is not be prisoner of the moment. Now, you trust at some point the talent, but it is not always easy to bring everybody together. The, the U.S. women's team makes it look easy, but it's mm-hmm. not always easy. So now you've got this moment of... You've just either poked the belly of the beast or you've given us a very quick preview at what would be one of the ultimate disappointments for the Olympics if this team does not come out and play well. So I, I think it's a really interesting spot for this team to be in. I, I, I fear anybody having to play them at this point because I would imagine they come mm-hmm. out slightly enraged. But That's, you know, that's exactly what Abby Wambach tweeted. She said, last thing I would want to be right now is the next opponent of this team. Nobody puts baby in the corner. You remember, Fitz, we talked to Abby... <laughs> Um, I think last week, and one of the things she said was they their biggest opponent could be themselves, right? You have to get through the egos, the expectations, the incredible and immense pressure. It's sort of like Serena Williams every tournament. It's not that big of a deal when she wins. It would be now, but let's say peak Serena. But when she loses, it's a big deal, right? You don't get that much credit for winning when it's expected. You are absolutely destroyed for losing when it's expected. And unfortunately, there are actual American fans who root against this team because of the the social issues that they've taken on, because of the fight for equal pay and all of those other things. There are people rooting against this team's success from their very own country. They put those reputations and those statements and their work on the line every time. And this was a really ugly start for that. And you know, I do hope that it's kind of a wake-up call for a team that very rarely is in adversity. Yeah, I, I can't. Th- that's something, and I've had this argument in my life in the last uh, week. I found myself having this argument. Like, I, I just can't find myself rooting against anybody that's putting up so much to play for our country. And, and yeah. it, it's, a, it's a mindset that baffles me. Sarah, I do have to ask you a quick question unrelated to anything, but you'll be the expert on this. I've now discovered in my house a massive spider web that is only a few feet from me but I don't see a spider and it's a really, oh, no. really large spider oh, no. web. Like it's, it's, it's a pretty, it's probably like it on looks you. like it took time. It looked like it's it, probably it, on it, you right now. It, I mean, and I don't see the spider, like the spider has to be somewhere if the web is here. Correct. Like I, I'm not losing my mind. I yeah. Just I'm sorry. Sure. Sorry for you. I will tell you, I'm trying to change my attitude towards spiders. The other day I finally had to kill this one. Cause it was like the fourth time I saw it in the house and I was kind of hoping that it would leave. And then it was like in a really bad place. And then I apologized to it and I tried to kill it really fast. And then I flushed it down the toilet so it wouldn't suffer. I'm trying to just bring them outside, but that one I could not get outside. But I think you should let it live. It created a beautiful web that's a miracle of nature. And maybe there's like a stray fly in your house that it's going to catch for you. And look, uh, spiders don't really weird me out. Things that jump weird me out. So like crickets, I'm not on crickets. Spiders, it's just that I can't can't find this one. And like now 
It's off uh, creating a new web somewhere else. I've got Home Alone in my head. It's like oh, it's boy. a massive tarantula. Oh, boy. It's Spain ahead, Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN <laughs> Radio. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Call or click today and find out if we could save you hundreds on your car insurance. We do have some good news. USA Softball opened up their tournament last night, beating Italy to nothing. They take on Canada tonight, I believe 7 p.m. Central. So you can watch that without an early wake up. In the meantime, Fitz... You know, you and I are both trying to balance our natural obsession and love of the Olympics, our desire to watch people achieve at the highest state, where something that they've worked their entire lives for, while understanding that this is fraught with with complications, and it always is, not just because of COVID, but also because of the you know what tends to happen to the uh, disenfranchised in the in the countries where the Olympics are held. Oftentimes, people are pushed out of homes and and work areas in order to, to you know create new big huge buildings that then go dormant years later and are never introduced into the into the city's infrastructure after the Olympics there's so many of those conversations to be had and and in this one we're hearing that the Japanese people and, and the residents of Tokyo who have for months been saying that this should not happen are getting increasingly angry and there also is no real sense of pride fits and what by that I mean if you wanted to show people your great city and your incredible fandom, you would do so with completely filled uh, you know stadiums you would do so with so many ways to really you know t- you know come together and instead there's no spectators there's a really low vaccination rollout hospitals are struggling and they're not getting anything out of this they're just trying to stop the bleeding when it comes to money loss so it's a lot less uh you know defensible to still be having it even to those who had hoped at one point that it would be a shining light for their city at its best, the Olympics are a large advertisement for the host city. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was really lucky to get to go in Rio in 2016. And what was stunning was to see how different it looked in person, how shoddy a lot of the construction was. You could see that the cameras were only getting certain angles because they want to make sure that the gymnastics arena looks like it's been redone when it hasn't and things like that. Like right. it was amazing to see it up close and see that it wasn't built for any level of permanence. I can't imagine losing like now you don't really have a great sales pitch because you don't have that opportunity to show it the way it was meant to be shown and you're still having to spend all of this money it's a lose-lose situation at this point for japan yeah it's really tough to kind of reconcile i feel the same way about when every time i saw shots of the deer district last night like my initial shot was that's awesome oh my look at that fan support they are so happy they're going wild and then i just kept thinking delta variant and it's that same you know kind of break when you're watching the Olympics. Oscar Robertson, Hall of Famer, is going to join us next to talk about the Bucks. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We are absolutely thrilled to be joined now on the Goodyear Hotline by Hall of Famer Oscar Robertson, 12-time All-Star, voted one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history, and of course a member of that 1971 Bucks title team. Oscar, before we even get to last night and the huge championship night for the Bucks, let's go back to 71. When you think about that championship, what do you usually think about? Camaraderie with your teammates, locker room time, sharing the win after the game with your friends and family, the actual moments of game time. What what brings back those memories to you? What part? I think about the time and effort we put in into into getting ready to play the, that series against Baltimore that year. Because this was my first year going to Milwaukee from Cincinnati. And really, I had to make an adjustment to get used to the other guys. And I didn't want them to get used to me because it would have been too much effort for 
young players like that who do not do not I didn't think to quite understand understand the game of basketball like I did to make that change. So I left it up to myself to do that. <laughs> so when you talk about everything that you've seen from Milwaukee and then what you get to see now, what does it mean for the city to have this opportunity again to see championship basketball? I think it's wonderful. I saw so many people, 65,000 plus outside of the arena, probably 20,000 plus inside, and just yelling and screaming, and, and they came through. I mean, it was a very, very hard-fought tournament. Phoenix played great, but they just couldn't overcome Giannis. I mean, I think Milwaukee had a, had too much too much size and strength and basketball know-how for Phoenix. Oscar Robertson with us here on Spain and Fitz. Did any of the players from this particular team reach out to you at any point, or did you have a relationship with any of them in seeking advice on how to how to get this championship won? No, and I wouldn't want them to because I didn't want, wouldn't want them to disrupt anything that, that they had been doing getting ready for games. Sometimes they have little little idiosyncrasies that they like to do, and so so for, and I didn't want to bother the guys, and I'm, I'm so I didn't do that. But I was so happy for rooting for them. I hope that they would win, and they did come through. Uh, they got a unit. They finally got a holiday in the backcourt from, I guess, from New Orleans, which was a big plus to get him on the team. Oscar, at some point, the other side of this is obviously Chris Paul, and we've talked so much about his legacy. What would you say to Chris right now in his hunt for a championship? I thought he played great. I thought he came in and gave a, a big a big push for the, for the uh, Phoenix basketball team, gave them a lot of stability. But it's tough to get back, you know. I mean, you know, I think sometimes when you get, when you get to the finals, uh, you, you know, sometimes you're lucky. Sometimes you have a great team, you're going to get there. But a lot of teams, you know, I mean, I'm sure Phoenix has won. I think Phoenix has got a real good team. I don't think they would call them a great basketball team. And it's going to be it's going to be difficult to get back. I mean, you know, because I mean, he's another year older, and they got other players coming on. And how much time we we afford him at, at his age to, to be in the game when his other players on on that team? Want more time to play. Hall of Famer Oscar Robertson is here with us on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you. You wrote a piece for the Players' Tribune, a letter to my Bucks family. And in it, you talk about how when you were approaching uh, your efforts to win a title, you were in the league for 10 years beforehand, and there were some negative thoughts and conversation about you, how you hadn't won anything yet. Giannis is only 26, but because of those two MVPs and because of the expectations from the regular season success, there were some similar conversations around him heading into this postseason. How much does it mean for Giannis at such a young age, too, uh, to already be able to put up this championship uh, bona fide? Because you're exactly right. This is what what happened with Giannis. It's been said by Giannis, oh, you know, he's this, he's that, he's so great. But, you know, they haven't, they haven't, been, they haven't been to the finals. They get they get beat every year in, the, in, the, in, the, in one of these rounds and whatnot. Now he shut all that up. They can't say that anymore about him. You know, now now he goes on to, hey, people want to know, can you win again? Right. See, you know, people, <laughs> people are never satisfied, to be honest. I mean, they, even though they had a great year, uh, they overcame, overcame a lot of adversity. But now they say, well, what about next year? Well, as good as Giannis has been in the series, and, and obviously such a big part of how they won, I mean, for every other team that's looking out there saying, this is the path to how you can win without a super team, is it? Is this the new way you can win a championship in the NBA? To me, I thought they had a super team at, at the right time. When they came down the stretch, when they, when they were down 0-2, they, they, super, they had a super team to come back and win these games. I thought the, the defensive effort uh, that Phoenix had against Giannis was not, was not adequate. And this is why they, this is why they got, they got beat. 
I, I didn't think that they had anyone there with the stature and the size and the stamina to, to handle a, a Giannis. Yeah, it certainly felt like DeAndre Ayton had his moments throughout this postseason, but he wasn't yet up to the task of it. And then losing Saric and having no depth at the bigs was really something that hurt the Suns. As soon as the Bucks figured out how to use their size and length and not get killed by the uh, Suns' incredible guard play. We're talking to Oscar Robertson here on Spain and Fitz, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. 50 years after that 71 Bucks title team, we all witnessed Milwaukee winning again. How much does it mean to you to see the scenes in Milwaukee last night, the 65,000 out in the Deer District, and for the most part, uh, a good, happy celebration to this monumental win? It, it, it means a lot to me because when I, when I went to Milwaukee, I must tell you, in, in all honesty, I didn't know very much about Milwaukee. I was traded from Cincinnati for whatever reason I don't understand. And I must tell you that, honestly speaking, my wife was the reason we went to Milwaukee because she looked at the school system. She looked at the mm-hmm. people she knew up there and all these things. She said, this is where we should go. So I, I, I obeyed her. <laughs> but Milwaukee had great neighbors, great city. I mean, it's a wonderful and I think the people deserve it. You know, you know, you know, just because you're in you're in L.A. or New York or Chicago or some of these other big cities, you don't you don't deserve every every effort for to experience something like this. Good, great Milwaukee. I'm glad they won it. Oscar, a lot of com- attention goes to Coach Budenholzer, who you know hasn't gotten this championship yet. When you look back at sort of what it means for a coach, how much credit does a coach get for this run that gets to a championship? Well, at this particular time, he's going to get another about another two years, ten years of coach up there. So that's <laughs> what it means for him because, he, because I, I, you know, to be honest, I mean, hate to say this, I think he was on the spot. Yeah, he was. You know, I, mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I remember the one one coach from uh, Toronto when Cleveland beat them with the last second shot by LeBron James he got fired. So to me, he put together a team, and he had to have confidence in his team when they're playing. You know that they can get things done, and that, which is what I'm sure he did. He left guys in the game at certain times, and even Middleton didn't have a very good shooting game that the last came out, but you had Giannis. Oscar Robertson with us here on Spain and Fitz. Before we let you go, in your Players' Tribune store, I thought it was uh, important that you talked about how you were happy to see that conditions have gotten better for the players, that players are becoming more on par with the owners as business people, and that's what's helping move the game forward. We hear a lot from former players, often critical of what the NBA looks like today, but you appreciate the way the players have more agency, but you do also warn them to know what came before them, who came before them. Do you feel like there's a good enough balance in the NBA right now of understanding that things are different than back in the old day, but that those young players are still making an effort to understand what came before them? Yes, and you'll you find that most of the people who are critical of the guys today are critical of the money they're making. Mm-hmm. Look at the game of basketball today. It's a partnership. As uh, it was yesterday, yesteryear, as it was yesteryear, it was a one-way street where the owners controlled everything. But now, you know, you've got to negotiate rights. The players' associations gets with the owners. They negotiate time on the field. Uh, now the players can decide you know, if they if they want to go. If two or three want to get together, you go to a team. Years ago, owners could stop that, and they did stop it a lot of times. If you remember real closely now. Chris Paul was denied an opportunity to go to the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now I think it's, a, it's an equal, equal situation. And I think the owners and the players have gotten together. Hopefully, you understand this, this is a business that they both can, can make a lot of money out of. 
Yeah, I love to hear that perspective because it is tough to see guys who don't seem to be happy for something they would have been very happy to be on the other end of when they were players. Oh, uh, sure. such a, there's such no a, doubt about that. You're yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> it's such a great attitude. Hey, thank you so much for the time and really uh, soak this all up and enjoy the big bucks win. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. We will start the quickies with, let's just say, an explanation that involves Deion Sanders. Now, for anybody that doesn't know, Deion Sanders was up at Media Days as he's now a head coach, right? And Deion Sanders is up there answering questions. And there was a little bit of controversy as he was answering questions at Media Days and uh, trying to figure out uh, what, what got under his skin. It's been debated. But this is what happened on the, uh, on the, on, at the podium as he was going through Media Days. And someone asked him a question by saying, hey, Deion, this was his response. Hey, Dion, I was just wondering if you could... Oh, uh, hold on, let's back up a little bit. You don't call Nick Saban Nick. Don't call me Dion. Okay? I call Nick Saban Nick. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's a lie. <laughs> if, you, if you call Nick Nick, you know you'll get cussed out on the spot. So don't do that to me. Treat me like Nick. Okay, Dion. <laughs> So that and was, he got up. By the way, yeah, that is uh, that, that last bit. Dion got up and left because the reporter. I'm on the side of the reporter at the beginning. I don't know if I would follow up with "Okay, Dion." I think I might just be like, "That was stupid," but move on. Instead, he pushed it a little bit, and Dion got up and walked away. Now, by the way, many of the noted people that I trust that follow college football that have talked to Coach Saban so often pointed out yesterday they call him Nick. It's not that uncommon. But yep. he was he 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 did have the opportunity, Nick Saban, to address this himself. Um there's been some talk in the college football world about how we should address head coaches. Um if if it was up to you, what is your preference? Is it Nick, head head coach Nick, Nick, how how would you like to be addressed? Look, I respond to just about anything. And I've been called just about everything. So, um, <laughs> not, not something that's um, really important to me, but I think everybody should have the opportunity to sort of create or make uh, the way they, their expectation is of how they get addressed. And it's not something that's, imp- that's really that significant to me. <laughs> it started off so well. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, we got, like, Nick Saban dropping gems here, cracking jokes. And then at the end, he was like, nah, I don't really want to fight Dion, though. So everyone can decide for themselves. No, just answer to your name. Come on, man. And definitely don't walk off because someone called you by your name. Now, I'm intentionally not saying the name of the school that Dion's a, a coach of because I don't think it deserves any press in this moment. But also, I've seen people tweeting, well, you know, we're talking about it. I, I would argue that if talking about it was all that really mattered, then... Mike Leach would have the most national championships. He doesn't, right? Like, there's just a moment where Dion in this role, and I'm calling him Dion pretty intentionally because, frankly, he's never going to give me an interview anyway. So Dion needs to relax a little bit and understand that at the end of the day, if you look like you're thirsty for respect, you're just not going to get it. And I don't understand why, as a coach, he thinks that this, as the leader of young men, is the approach that he should take. Also worth noting, by the way, that according to some reports, too – there are there are reports that um, the Clarion Ledger, the paper that employed a reporter who 
uh, wrote a story about a domestic violence charge against the highest ranked high school recruit in history for the school that Dion coaches at has been barred from covering anyone associated with the football team. Now, they claim that he was punished for doing his job. It's interfering with journalism. And a, a, a spokesman from the team said that his credentials weren't taken away and he wasn't barred, although there wasn't really any clarity as why he was not allowed to speak to anyone at media days and wasn't able to interact. So a lot more questions still about that than just Dion and his name. Yeah, and at the end of the day, we also have to remember Dion's coaching in a school nobody's really watching, so this is the only way. Maybe he feels he can be part of the conversation. It's Quickies on Spain and Fitz. Let's get to our next one. Quickies. And this comes in the form of a little bit of love to the NHL. Today, we can now do we? How many times are we going to say this? Release the Kraken! I don't know. The Seattle <laughs> Kraken, uh, the new expansion team in the NHL, had their expansion draft. And, Sarah, the one thing that I, I think sticks out to there, the players, for anyone that doesn't know, teams decided who to protect and who not to protect. There's a bunch of rules. I, I, I'll let Emily Kaplan break it down for you brilliantly on ESPN.com. But we saw this with Vegas a few years ago. And the result was an immediate contending team. And I think that's one of the great things that have come out of this. Like, if you are a Seattle Kraken fan in Seattle, you know that your your ownership group just paid a ton of money for this. You're built, you built an arena. You've got all of these things going for you. You have a real shot at being competitive day one. That is a win for the NHL. Agreed. There's a lot of people talking about how the, the, the Golden Knights are not going to be the standard for what we can expect from expansion teams nearly winning the Stanley Cup in their first season and, and having a great run every every season since. Um, but the Kraken hopefully start out you know strong enough to have some have some um, contending ability. But most are saying don't expect it to be quite like Vegas right off the bat. But a lot of fun for that city and a very cool and different. Uh, mascot and vibe already out of that out of that team yeah I do really like the mascot I like the whole vibe I like the way they put the logos together the artwork like it's all it's all really well done it's really well thought out I got to give them a lot of credit let's go to the next story quickies all right we will now uh, take the quickies journey over to all things I'm pulling it up here it's frozen there we go Jerry Jones all right Jerry Mm -hmm. Jones uh, spoke to the media, and, you know, I, it's Jerry Jones, but he spoke, and it was heartfelt. This is what he said. I do anything known to man to get in a Super Bowl. That's a fact. But the thing that means the most to me, and I care about, and I could probably be anywhere in the world I want to be right now. I want to be here uh, with our team. Yeah. I mean, it was an emotional Jerry Jones today. He, you know, started tearing up talking about why he ended things with Jimmy Johnson and how, you know, he totally effed up and which wished that he hadn't done that wrong. Started crying, talking about how much he wants to win, how much he wants to be here with the team. We've talked a lot lately, Fitz, about him kind of understanding that his window is nearing an end in terms of being able to own and run a team that has a shot. And maybe that was hitting him today. Yeah, it was emotional in a cool way to me to see somebody look I think most owners in the NFL feel the same way about the opportunity to be around their team and the opportunity to win a Super Bowl but it reminds us of the human elements of Jerry Jones which I think is really incredible let's go to the next story quickies and this one revolves around college football as Washington State's football coach uh, has decided uh, Nick Rolovich has decided 
uh, not to get vaccinated. Now, this is important because Pac-12 media days require that anybody in person be vaccinated. So he won't be there. He'll be doing it remotely. And he issued a statement saying essentially he's not going to answer any questions about it. He's not going to be vaccinated. And as a result, he won't be there. Sarah, this has got to be maddening for the highest paid employee educator at Washington State to be standing up and saying, I'm not doing this, knowing what that means to college football, what that means for his team. Yeah, I don't know. If I'm a playing for a coach that's not getting vaccinated, I don't want to be playing there very much longer. And that's that's not hyperbole. I would not feel comfortable playing for that. And I com- couldn't agree with you more. It is frustrating enough if you are an educator on the academia side of, of school and you have to understand that these people are getting paid millions and millions of dollars, but for them to reinforce an ignorant and uninformed approach to a, a massive global pandemic, that would be incredibly tough. Yeah, all at the same time while conferences is telling us there'll be no postponements, only forfeitures for COVID mm-hmm. reasons. So your coach is putting you at risk. All right, the Bucks are the champions. We'll break down what it means next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. The Milwaukee Bucks are champions of the NBA. And it doesn't really matter how they got there. It doesn't really matter what else happened in the playoff run. In this moment, I think this is an incredible moment to remember what it means for Giannis, what it means for Milwaukee, and what it means for teams to do it a different way. I mean, we have to look at so many decisions that were made, and the amount of pressure there was on on this particular Bucks team, to me, is one of the most incredible parts of the story of this run. As was pointed out last night, Budenholzer, the coach of the, the Bucks was coaching in the last year of a deal, didn't get an extension, all eyes on what he was going to be able to do. There has been whispers at one point a few weeks ago, suddenly Giannis was Robin and not Batman, and then all of a sudden he comes in with a 50-point performance <laughs> with everything on the line, and it reasserts sort of at, at some point we have to have patience in how we analyze all of it. So we're going to get some more thoughts on it uh, from uh, somebody that knows better than most. Bucks analyst, five-time All-Star Marcus Johnson joins us. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Give me a little insight in your mind of what the, the, the way they won sort of answers about any questions that we've had about the Bucks through the playoffs. Well, uh, I, I just the toughness that this team has exhibited all throughout the playoffs has been uh, something that was called into question the past two years, and rightfully so. Uh, Giannis's ability to master different types of defenses thrown at him has been called into question the last two years, and rightfully so. And I think it was a combination of of growth and maturity on his part, on the team's part, but even more importantly, Coach Budenholzer became a lot more flexible. He was into this corporate knowledge type of approach where, you know, you're going to do and stick with what you're going to do until somebody makes you change. And the fact that the Bucks were eliminated earlier than uh, expected the last couple of years in the playoffs, and I say earlier than expected, but Toronto, I mean, we were up to love. We thought we were headed to the finals, so that was a major disappointment. And then Miami just went on us last year. So the fact that Coach Bud was able to be more flexible, play more zones, do more switching, go to a, um offensive philosophy where you're not just straight five out, where you're using that dunker area to – to kind of break up the pieces of the wall, throwing at Giannis. So a lot of good stuff that I saw 
in the playoffs that led to this team walking away with the chip, the championship trophy. You're right. I mean, the adjustments from Coach Bud and this team were the thing that always felt like they would stand in the way. And instead, after those first two games, we saw an incredible difference in their attack defensively, um, their ability to stop the drive and kicks and the pick and rolls. And, the, and and they basically made this about Devin Booker. And they said, go on and get yours, and then we'll stop everybody else. Not allowing them to run the offense through Chris Paul was the biggest decision maker. And it leaves this uh, as, as a team that we're going to talk about very differently going forward. You know, I saw you were in the locker room last night, uh, getting sprayed with champagne, celebrating with the guys. Tell us some stories from behind the scenes. Who was uh, getting craziest back there enjoying the moment? Well, they were all just doing their thing like you would expect in a, in a, in a celebratory moment like that. But, I mean, Chris Middleton was just, you know, he was just kind of catatonic, I think, just so tired and, and, and overwrought from the emotional toil that this playoff run has taken on him. And so he's just sitting back with his goggles on, his base cap, baseball cap on. I got, it. I posted it on Twitter, old school eight eight eight. But he's got this big cigar in his mouth, and just you know, he's just like a man of few words anyway, and even fewer words in that scenario. Giannis uh, dancing and having a great time. Uh, everybody, <laughs> the jubilation was there, and uh, I'm just happy and fortunate to be a part of it. I think that's one of the things when you talk about the jubilation, it felt like a, such a, a just expression of that from Giannis. I mean, to see the joy, but also just the release of energy after he won when it was capable of doing that. Like, how does Giannis, how is he different today than he was yesterday? Well, well, now he's a champion. He's an NBA champion and he's an NBA finals MVP. And yeah, he's a two-time MVP, but Let's face it. I mean, you're, 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 you're graded and you're, and you're evaluated on your ability to perform in the most valuable part of the season. That's always been one of my things about the MVP. You can't use the most valuable part of the season to, uh, to, to, to judge how good a guy is. But Giannis came through in the most valuable part of the season like you guys have come through before. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, this, this has got to be – I mean, Magic's uh, rookie year against Philly – Michael's 45-point closeout game, but this has got to rank up there, at least since the merger, is one of the top three or four all-time performances, maybe the top, all things considered. When this guy's knocking down 17 out of the 19 free throws, the rebounding, five-block shots, uh, the fact that no one else could generate any kind of consistent offense except for Bobby Portis and Spurs, and he had to kind of carry his teammates, the franchise, the city, the state of Wisconsin, on his shoulders to get this thing done, and he did it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to five-time All-Star, now Bucks analyst Marcus Johnson, who, by the way, if you look at his Twitter, still dunks at 65. Very, very impressed by that. Um, you know, a lot of the conversation before Giannis re-upped and before they made the deal bringing in Holiday was whether or not a market like Milwaukee could hang on to a superstar and then make good on having him. Do you think this will have any impact on the rest of the league, say a place like Portland trying to hang on to Dame Lillard, or places that people try to say, you're going to have to send that guy away and they're going to need to go somewhere bigger to finally get that chip? Well, you know, it's all about trust. I mean, does Dame Lillard trust his decision maker, Neil O'Shea, I mean, you know, general manager, president, whatever, the ownership. I mean, Giannis has a lot of trust in, in the Milwaukee ownership of Mark Lazary and 
and uh, Wes Eaton and Jamie Dynan and, and that whole crew. I mean, they've, they've, they've been saying all along, I've been here six years, they've, they've been owners for seven, that, that they were going to spare no expense. They had the vision, Peter Fagan, our great team president, to, 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 to concoct this whole idea of making downtown Milwaukee a destination place, which seemed a little on the extreme, Milwaukee in the wintertime, a destination place. But they understood that if they could put a top-quality product on the floor, they could get that done. So in terms of the trickle-down effect, I mean, it just depends on how these superstar players like a Dame Lillard, does he believe management? Can he look at the track record since the time he's been there and feel like they're making progress toward that? Or have they been stagnant? I would argue that it's probably been a little bit stagnant there. Uh, so it's tough to say that Giannis's decision will be one that impacts and there'll be a trickle-down effect because it's an individual decision and you got to kind of evaluate your personal situation and, 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 and the direction of where your franchise is headed. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, do you think it has a trickle-down effect to the way Milwaukee specifically is viewed as a franchise moving forward? Uh, this will, see, this is where I think this does us, uh, Milwaukee, some, the greater good, is that now I think Milwaukee, not only a destination point coming downtown for the fans, but I believe free agents will, 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 will glom onto and plug into the energy that they witnessed, 65,000 in the Deer District, all that great stuff that was going on. I think they're going to look at this city and be like, man, that's a live place. That's kind of a hidden gem. And, and, and without, all, without all the pressure of New York, L.A., Chicago, media, Philadelphia, mm. it might be some place where uh, I think we can attract some really high caliber, maybe not A-level, but, you know, A, 2A, B-level, terrific players that will help supplement Chris, Giannis, and Drew Holiday. And that's all you need. You know, they're the, they're the guys, they're the mainstays. You just need the, the pieces around them to keep this thing moving forward. Marcus, we really appreciate your insight. Hope you've enjoyed a little bit of the fun and the party with all of it. Keep celebrating in Milwaukee. Thanks for hanging out with us. I will do, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for being Marcus Johnson, five-time All-Star Bucks analyst, joining us. Obviously, an incredible party happening in Milwaukee. I hope it just keeps going on for a week. <laughs> in the meantime, things I keep hoping will continue. The Olympics. There's still the chance that we may not get what we're expecting. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. In fact, all of ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Now, one thing we're going to be talking about all week is the Olympics. Obviously, opening ceremonies Right around the corner, we've asked you over the last few days how you'll be watching it, and we've talked a little tonight about uh, team, uh, the women's national soccer team and uh, some of their difficulties, let's say that kindly, in their first, uh, in their first match. So <laughs> That's well said, too. Uh, so obviously all eyes for us are on Tokyo, as Sarah and I are both big Olympic fans, but it's not an easy situation right now to figure out what to do, how to do it, and how we got here realistically because everything has been delayed and postponed and we finally get to this spot where now we're going to get it but maybe we're not and everybody's looking trying to figure out what the data is and realistically Sarah like I'm trying to look at this and say I want the Olympics but I also don't want like some global super spreader event that makes everything worse I it's such a conflicting feeling to realize that we're here on top of everything else that comes with being here with the Olympics 
Completely agree. And honestly, what it's bringing me back to is a lot of the conversations being had last summer. It was uh, Spain and company. Jordan Cornette and I were spending three hours a night trying to wade through the sort of cognitive dissonance required to say, I want sports. I miss sports. I want to see baseball come to a deal and watch this. I want to see an NBA and WNBA bubble season. But understanding at the same time that those things don't aid us in defeating a pandemic that was killing millions, um, they slow us down. Um, also, the jobs and the economies that are helped by things getting back, all of that kind of is sitting in your mind simultaneously. And in the case of the Olympics, because it's only every four years or in this case, five, because it's global and it's the bringing together people, because so many of the athletes in it are not the ones that you get to see every other year competing for millions of dollars because there is so much heart and soul and lifelong dream at play here for people who work forever for something that is fleeting and can you know be grasped only in that moment and for the love of it and and, and the glory of it not because they make millions and and sponsorship deals and everything all of that comes together for me to enjoy it while I'm watching it without you know forgetting that the Olympics are always fraught with conflict <laughs> not just covid and actually Mina Kimes was on highly questionable talking about this the other day I've literally been talking about this for years our old short show the trifecta came up with the idea of olympic island like a man-made barge island that always holds the olympics and then rotating countries take control of it every you know couple years and it's because of the stuff that Mina Kimes says here Athletes getting the shot is one thing, but we are talking about 22,000 people flying into a country that, as Bo said, has a 22%, below 22%, actually, vaccination rate on account of the availability of the shots. Who thought this was going to be a good idea? Nobody, but it's a train that feels like it can't be stopped, and we all know why, which is the money. And to me, that's exhibit A for a longstanding issue with the Olympics, which is we shouldn't have, we, like as the world, should not have an event that requires massive new investment every four years that is largely uh, wasted afterwards because it results in situations like this where you don't have flexibility. Like they can't move it, for example, to a safer place or have it in a bunch of different places because there is so much money that wins into this event happening in this particular place. And if it doesn't go that way, all that money goes away too. And it's worth noting that it's not up to the very people most affected by this. We know that the contract with the IOC kind of makes it so the IOC has to be the one to pull the plug, not Tokyo. And so there's a great story up right now on .com by Tim Kuhn, ESPN senior writer, about how the tiniest sign of insurrection is rare in Japan because it is a it is a incredibly out of character for Japanese people to exhibit disapproval of their country, to not have this deep sense of pride and show the world how great they are. The fact that there are public protests right now, even if they're small and and well-behaved, is very out of character for them. That is how outraged they are that this is going on, despite months of them saying, we can't do this. Well, and, and all of this raises sort of the interesting question. I mean, as you mentioned, Olympic Island, which, by the way, I think is a spectacular idea. Uh, it, it does create this this trap for cities that are stuck, you know, for for anybody to be speaking out to your point speaks to how divided they are and even having it. But the fact that the city doesn't really have control at this point to do whatever they want is also like that's a problem in my mind. I mean, I keep thinking back, as I mentioned earlier, like I had the chance to be in Rio and I, I've told everybody that will ever listen. If you have a shot to go to an Olympics, you go. It's one of the coolest things you could ever 
witness. But as as cool as it is when you're witnessing it, it feels a little like those home or bar renovation shows where they come in in three days and suddenly the bar is completely fixed and you find out later that the work may have been shoddy and like the paint job wasn't all that good. Like that's what it felt like even going through Rio. Like there were portions of Rio that we were exposed to and portions of Rio that you really weren't. And everybody was trying to make sure that the right things were shown, but it wasn't really done in a great way. And you could see that none of it was built to last and all of this money is spent on it so it feels like cities are trapped and at some point if you're looking at it from tokyo tokyo standpoint even if the people don't want it they don't have the power to stop it and without that power what the hell do they do i mean it's crazy to think that a country has gotten themselves into that position well and fernando palomo who is an olympics reporter for espn was on kgnz yesterday and the way he described this sounds so in keeping with the description from tim kuhn about the country and their approach to being prideful to not being insurrectionists even about things that are so very clearly wrong this is how he sees this country this city and the ioc spinning this to try to make it feel like it's a time to prove themselves instead of demand that they call them off the president of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, said today in the opening of their session that uh, he just pretty much claimed the Japanese people to remember the sentiment they had 10 years ago when they started bidding for this game and to recapture the essence of why they wanted the games to to happen and turn the page and, and believe that the games are a way to step out of the situation that every that the whole world is living and to see further ahead into a brighter future. That's what he wants the flame to become in this Olympic Games in Tokyo. So I don't see that that from the Olympic Committee or even the organizers, the, the scenario of cancellation is possible. Fitz, you just can't create a narrative and then have it out overpower the realities of a virus. And that's the problem, right? You can't say this is going to to be this moment where we all rally around and say we beat this and this is this is something to take pride in because we aren't beating it. And it's hard to take pride when you're worried that it's making worse something that you already don't have control of. I mean, isn't one of the objectives through anything that we go through is to to learn from it and say, okay, what can we do better? And I mean, while obviously nobody could ever have anticipated a virus uh, that that took over the whole globe, right? At some point, you have to look at it and say, well, this is where we are. And if even in a time like this, a country can't speak up and and get what they want out of the Olympics, then I have to wonder if this isn't the catalyst that makes everybody step back and say, hey, is the system broken? Like, do we need to reimagine this entire thing, Sarah? Because it feels like if not now, then when? Oh, it's been broken. It's been broken. The IOC, like I always say, is up there with FIFA and the NCAA where it is about the money that no matter how many atrocities are committed in the name of the games and the goodwill that we feel around the competitions, we ignore and push back the fact that there are people who are removed from their homes. There are transportation um, options that are removed from public use as they change and develop and, and construct new ones, keeping people from getting to their jobs and families. We ignore all of that because it brings a lot of money to the IOC and we get to watch the games. It's been something that's been flawed for such a long time. I wouldn't even know where to begin with fixing it. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Last night was the first time there was an MLB game called entirely by women, Fitz. We talked about this very briefly last night. There's a pretty cool video going around of a couple players in the dugout and they're uh, speaking Spanish to each other and it's translated with captions and they're remarking on the fact that they have just found out that this 
game will be called by all women. And one of the players says, that's good. Women need to continue to stake a space for themselves. They're already smarter than all of we are. And I was like, I love this. Like it, it felt like a plant, but it seems like it was totally caught uh, unsuspecting. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that, you know, for for people that work in this business in general, I, one of the things that has been really inspiring to me is to see the change. I mean, I think about the way the business felt when you and I started our show together the first time, which was the beginning of 2018, and to where we are now and how it felt like such an outlier that we had a show together. Like, there just wasn't that much representation it felt like at the time for men and women doing shows together in so many capacities and now it feels like it's literally everywhere and i feel like the number of times that i'm, I'm working on different shows on different properties at espn with incredibly smart women is just a reminder that it's it's become so accepted in a great way like it feels like we're much closer than we've ever been to a world at least in our business where if you're really good at what you do you can get opportunity I would agree. I think especially in sports, it feels like a sea change from when I came in and the excuse is still being given for why it would be impossible for women to be coaches or assistant coaches or broadcasters or anything else. Um, I would say radio is still the last bastion of the old boys club, especially local radio. You will rarely find women. You will rarely find people of color, LGBTQIA representation. It is a a bunch of middle-aged white dudes almost everywhere for the most part still. So a lot of barriers still to be knocked down there. But um, last night it was Sarah Langs uh, as an MLB.com reporter. Um, It was uh, Lauren Gardner and Heidi Watney of MLB Network serving as co-hosts for pre- and post-game. MLB Network's Alana Rizzo, who is actually joining us here on Spain and Fitz tomorrow, who was reporting from the field. And you heard Melanie Newman uh, providing analysis. So um, it just was really cool to have an all-female broadcast. You get that milestone, you pass it, and then when you look ahead – you don't have to be a first anymore. And I remember it used to be a big deal to have two women hosting SportsCenter together, right? Now you don't even notice. That happens all the time. And the Yankees um, are particularly a team that's been ahead of the game. You remember Susan Waldman was the first woman to have a full-time position as a major league broadcaster. That was with the Yankees. You look at the front office for the Yankees and, you know, Gene Afterman, and these people who had groundbreaking spots and and uh, Rachel Belchvich, who's a, a hitting coach, is, is one of the many on field teaching and coaching players jobs that we've seen in baseball just over the last couple of years on a couple of teams. And that to me is like the big jump fits, not just talking about it, but having players look to somebody and be able to say, you are going to teach me. You are going to be the one that shows me how to be a better hitter, a better baseball player. Rachel Folden, who we've had on the show before, um, first female coach for the Cubs in team history, who had been such an impressive hitting instructor, who had come up with her own proprietary techniques for understanding and analyzing people's swings that they, they realized they couldn't, they couldn't go on without her. They needed to bring her into the club. And that's the kind of stuff that you love to see is when just data and, 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 and experience and, and proof of concept is finally, um, you know, good enough to get you in the door when before you could have all of that and they would still say, I don't think we're ready for a woman. Well, and I think one of the things we have to remember is that athletes are much more, you and I say this all the time, so it feels like a broken record. Athletes are more progressive than I think most fans. And I think athletes get, don't get enough credit at times for they just want to be great, right? And so one of the things that we've talked so much when we talk about the NBA culture, game gets game, right? And we see that across the board. I mean, I, I would like to think that for most people in life, if somebody came in and said, hey, I can make you better at your job, you'd listen to them. And what is funny to me at times is that it feels like 
fans are convinced there's going to be this absolute outcry and outrage, and it just doesn't seem to exist from players. The more players we talk to, the more they just seem to be indifferent to anything about the gender or background of the person. It's just a matter of can you make me better? And when you start, start thinking about the studying that goes into it and the work, like the 10,000-hour principle that is you know often talked about that you have to work at something for 10,000 hours to become an expert – I think we need to remember that in life so often there are people that are putting in the work and the grind to learn everything they need to learn. And while they may not look like the same people that are playing the game, they may not have the same background. If they can make you better, that's all that matters. And we accepted that a long time ago when it came to our male coaches at football, for example. How often do we look at guys that simply never had a shot at playing in the NFL, but they're NFL coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but for some reason, we seem to have this block where, well, a, a woman can't do that. I just don't think that exists for athletes. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Um, I remember there was a study done uh, at the collegiate level asking coaches uh, what they would think about adding a, a, a female coach to their staff. And some of the responses, it was all anonymous, were so absurd. It was like we'd have to change the language we use. And, and I thought to myself, is it because you think that women can't hear swear words or because what you're saying is like problematic, if you know what I'm saying? Like no. the first one Get over it. We a lot of us have potty mouths, and the second one, take a good hard look at your program. Then, right? I mean, it's it's something that I think has evolved a lot in terms of us seeing these female candidates for NBA head coaching jobs now, when it was difficult even to imagine them at the collegiate level. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. In the world of men's professional sports, many women are breaking through and making their mark. They're not going to be looking at him sideways. The reason why I take so much objection. He is literally running with the entire team. The NBA is actually facing backlash on both sides. Their stories are told here on Spain and Fitz. Time for this edition of Game Changers. Rachel, thanks so much for the time. So great to talk to you. I was reading up about you before tonight. And one of the things that stood out to me is the usual barriers that so many women face in having to you know, be groundbreakers and, and change the face of a sport. You played softball in college. You got a master's degree in kinesiology at LSU. You started working with the football team and the baseball team there, and you end up coaching in a minor leagues. And, you know, you actually win an award for being, you know, the best uh, league uh, strength coach of the year for the Appalachian League. So you've got all these things like masters and you start, you learned your, how to speak Spanish. You bring all this to the table and then your internship with the Cardinals ends and there's no job for you and you're to waitressing. What does that feel like in that moment when it feels like you're putting everything together towards an end goal and then it just stops? <laughs> um, you leave, you leave that out pretty well and accurately. Um, I think at the time, actually, I was pretty naive because I had already been hired by the Cardinals and also, as you mentioned, worked at LSU, baseball, softball, Arizona State internship. Like, lots of stuff had already happened. So I was like, oh, it'll be no big deal. I had moved to Phoenix and applied for probably eight to ten jobs. And I was very naive. I just thought, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm young. Like, I, I just have to do more internships and more education. But um, it wasn't until I actually was told what was going on that I, that I found out. So I was very naive, basically, until that point. Um, and then when I did find out, I kind of thought the, the competitive spirit in me was like, oh, okay, you're telling me I can't do this. Well, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, so there was definitely chip on my shoulder type of feeling, but also the feeling of responsibility that I still have today. But in that moment, I thought, okay, I from at minimum four clubs that were just very direct um, and honest about why they weren't hiring me. And then obviously I didn't know about others, but 
I thought, man, if a, if a woman with my resume, college softball player, graduate assistant strength coach at LSU for two years, blah, 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 like six internships at that point, and also speaking Spanish, if a woman with my resume can't do it, when is the next woman that's going to come along that, that, can't, that does have something like this that could be hired? So I kind of felt responsible, like, okay, this is, I have to do this because I don't know many other, even men with my resume, let alone a woman. So one of the interesting things, Rachel, and what you just said is that you know teams clearly told you, or people clearly told you, they simply couldn't hire you. Was that because of their fear from blowback from players, or from a front office standpoint? Um, the the answer was always like, well, it's not that we don't think that you can do the job; it's that we're, we don't want basically any negative reactions from players, um, you know, and lawsuits and those kinds of things. Which is hilarious because I have such few. Honestly, in my ten-year career now, I've had maybe a couple of true issues with a player disrespecting me. It, it usually comes from you know colleagues or people around the industry type of thing. Um, so the players are always just the easiest people to win over as long as they know that you care about them. You know what you're talking about. You're going to be consistent. All those things that every human being wants, they they buy in pretty quickly. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Yankees minor league hitting coach Rachel Balkovic. Rachel Balkovic. Uh, it's hard to spit that one out. Um, you know, I was reading that part where, you know, they're they're literally telling you, you are so overqualified. Um, I, I, I didn't call you back because I was calling all the other teams to see if they had an opening and would be willing to hire a woman. Mm-hmm. And they all said, no, same thing over here. And you tried a little bit of a trick to see if you could get more interest if people didn't know you were a woman. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, I mean, after that year, basically I sat out that year and, and waitressed and added another internship at Arizona State onto my resume. And I just was so nervous coming around to that next offseason that I wouldn't even get a call. You know, and I just, look, this was not a good strategy, okay? Just for anyone listening, I definitely was at a desperate place. Um, but I changed my name on my resume to Ray, and I changed NCAA Division One softball catcher to NCAA Division One catcher, <laughs> and just made everything gender neutral. Um, and it worked. I got a phone call, and uh, inevitably, like you know, that phone call was extremely awkward, and <laughs> he never called back. And I learned the hard way that I just I was going to have to wait for the right team to hire me. Um, but yeah, I, I did that because I was so desperate and I just wanted to get on the phone with someone. I just thought like, maybe I can blow their socks off by having a great interview and they'll go, wow, this isn't what I expected type of thing. Whereas before I thought they would just see the name Rachel and just not even call me. Um, you- but ultimately that was a short lived strategy, honestly, <laughs> just because again, it got pretty awkward. Um, so I did change it back and ultimately ended up getting, thankfully, a, an inter- off-season internship with the White Sox that really, I think, Okay, one organization hired me, that was the Cardinals, then another one hired me for the Arizona Fall League, which it was is a prospect league, but was even more so back then, the, the league's top prospects. Um, and then the Cardinals ended up hiring me back full-time. So thankfully, I didn't have to wait. I was prepared to sit out another year. It was getting pretty late in that offseason. I thought I wouldn't be hired full-time, and then the Cardinals called me. So, I mean, it was all in all relatively a very short amount of time, um, but obviously left the mark. Rachel, have you had the opportunity to talk to any of the people that eventually didn't call you back through this process? Um, yeah, like they saw me. You know, I think it's like that was that was eight years ago now. I mean, my first season was in 2012, and then 13 was when I sat out the season. And I, yeah, like the the funny thing was is the Cardinals hired me back not only 
as a coach, but as their minor league strength and conditioning coordinator. And for those who are not really adept in the, in the, um, the minor league system, that, that means I was overseeing 200 plus athletes, overseeing 10 male strength coaches, assisting with all of the major league operations and traveling all over the country into the Dominican to oversee our strength and conditioning operations. So it was a huge job. So not only to go from, you know, I couldn't even get a job to going to being a coordinator. And so I think I saw all those people and I had their names, of course, like I saw those people the next year at winter meetings, at the conference and just thought like, wow, how funny is this? But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I try to be very pragmatic and just think, you know, this is definitely a little part of me that's like, oh, hi, remember me? You know, I'm back. <laughs> uh, but but realistically, like they didn't know, you know, and, and changes. I always say changes change. You know, I don't like change. You don't like change. I always say, like, I get I get upset when my iPhone updates and I don't know what the heck's <laughs> going on. You know, like, it's just like change is change. And people react to change very differently all across the board. And my path was tough, but I'm glad. You know, I'm really glad I had the experience and it's shaped me as a person. And it's like, I don't, I'm not mad at those people. Like, they're just, they were just handling change in their own way. And by the way, some of the people that couldn't hire me, it might not have been them. But it was people above them that said no. So... I just try to be again, very like pragmatic about that whole situation. And I I'm glad that I'm here and it all worked out and, and it's all really for the best. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, game changers with Rachel Balkovic hitting coach in the Yankees org. And, you know, you mentioned that iPhone um, update anecdote in, in a, tweet thread, very short tweet thread about yep. coaching at the MLB Futures game, talking about, you know, going into the clubhouse fully dressed in uniform and a female security guard asking you if you had credentials and stopping you. And you were you were not blaming her for that. You were saying that it's hard to get used to something that looks different. And she was probably so useful, used to only seeing men coming in and out of the area in uniform that she wasn't sure if you belonged. It was not the thread. I thought the thread was fine and your way of talking about it was useful. And it's something that we all need to continue to put out in public the ways in which we are reacted to and interacted with as women in male-dominated spaces so people can understand that not an everyday way you're probably having to push through some expectations and stereotypes. What was surprising to me, maybe not surprising because I'm on the internet and I'm a woman, uh, <laughs> is the number of people who pushed back on you and said so much angst, so much anger. And in the thread, you're like, I'm not mad at her. She was fine. And you were like, yeah. well, here's why, because I already had credentials and the only people down there were these. That's why it was weird that she had, like to, that kind of is was so frustrating to me. And do you find that just trying to talk about your experiences is often met with people saying, like, just get over it. We don't need to hear about it. Uh, that actually was a, that was the first, the thing is I don't share a lot of experiences, but, and I just try to be so careful because I truly believe it, not because I'm trying to keep everyone happy. I, I just believe like, I, I thought it was interesting. It was a woman. So I don't think this woman hates women. I think this woman just isn't used to seeing a woman in a baseball uniform, walk into a clubhouse. It's just different. It's not that I'm a woman. She, and she hates women. It's that it's different. And so that we're that's a that's a great thing you know that she did that kind of you know because it's different she saw something and she said it i think it's i think um i try to share those experiences to be open and honest and not just to be like a bubblegum um you know girl next door that i'm like everything is great and i love this game and everything's perfect like i don't i want to be honest but i think thankfully for me or thankfully for i guess hopefully the greater good of women is that i'm honest but i'm not angry 
I just want to tell the truth about what happens, but also I'm, I am very understanding. I try to be empathetic about again, just change. It's just change. And if you sign up to be a part of cataclysmic societal change, you sign up to have weird experiences. I'll tell Mm -hmm. you that right now. And you know that as well. Mm -hmm. So you just, you sign up for two jobs. It's to have really weird experiences and also to do your job. So, you know, I think it was interesting. I just, uh, yeah, the amount of people that wrote back again, obviously mostly men and said, well, everyone has to show their credentials. And I'm like, no, the uniform is like, nobody was given credentials because at that point of security, you don't need them when you're wearing a baseball uniform. <laughs> and I'm almost confident that she didn't stop any males wearing right, a full baseball, baseball uniform. Uniforms. So, Unbelievable. Yeah, so I think yeah. It, it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty saddening actually for the amount of people that pushed back only because it's like, wow, you're, you're very ignorant to what goes on in the world if you're not understanding the situation. And also, again, like, I hope that I presented it in a way that wasn't me being angry and saying this woman should be fired. And no, no, not at all. Field. Yeah, you, you know, were just actually just like, acknowledging hey, what happened. Yeah, and the, it's a reminder that we have, have to get used to, to it. Yeah, people have to get used to it. And the more they see it, the more they will. Um, and you and all the other women that are coming into game into the game uh, at the professional level are helping do that. Thanks so much for the time, Rachel. Really appreciate it. Thank you all so much. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.